This is Davis Troxler, the proud owner of North Carolina Golf Academy and the director of instruction. Don't let your golf game suffer from this dreary winter season. Come hit some golf balls, take a lesson. You can call us at 336-324-2374 for details. Thank you and keep it in the fairway. One stop number six, located just one mile west of East Forsyth at 2748 West Mountain Street, Kernersville. A proud supporter of East Forsyth since 1983, serving fresh fried chicken and our famous taters seven days a week from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. For a limited time, grab our Wife Safer family meal for only $13.99. Eight pieces of chicken and sides for four for just $13.99. One stop. Come see us at 2748 West Mountain Street in Kernersville. Here at Tobacco Road Sports Radio, we ask the tough questions. Hey, you got any left-handed footballs? We're never afraid to tell you how we feel. Oh, we look like the damn bad news bears. We'll debate sports. We'll debate anything. And you lying, you ain't never met Martin Luther King. Not the winner, but yes he did. No he didn't, yes he did. No he did not. No matter what, Tobacco Road Sports Radio has you covered. I'm gonna come right back at him. soldier. You're listening to Tobacco Road Sports Radio. You are locked into Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Your home for triad sports. Like to have everybody's attention for a moment. There's a stat. I don't like bringing up stats, but there's one stat about the Panthers. And he's in the world is James Harden better scored than Michael Jordan. No, he's a more creative in that. He's, Traveling he, is not creative, he Brandon. Doesn't, he doesn't. You know, no matter what the score is, and they've said it themselves, whether they're up 10, down 10, down 20, whatever, they know they can turn it on, whatever. Why did you have to bring up the Cowboys? Right? <laughs> Lived in Texas for two years and just could not stand to watch Cowboys for life. <laughs> Welcome to the Rundown. Here's Desmond Johnson. And happy Saturday morning to everyone in the triad and points beyond. This is the Rundown. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson. Taking it with you live every Saturday morning on WWBG 1470 AM and TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Two hours here for you today. Be here till noon. Get you ready for all of your sports here on this uh, beautiful weekend. Hot weekend. I mean, the... uh, mid-90s for the first time uh, this year, so definitely get out and enjoy yourself. Joined by a cast of regulars, Hot Rod Funderburk in the house, Larry Frank from Frankly Speaking Sports in the house, and Sam Dracula, host of the Believe in Hornets podcast, uh, joining us today. So we're going to start off with some NBA talk. Uh, of course, the NBA playoffs, the East and West Coast Finals, uh, Western Conference Finals, I should say, in full effect. Uh, we'll talk a little Hornets trade machine today. Uh, of course, the biggest story in sports uh, right now, this whole Jimbo Fisher versus Nick Saban situation. Uh, who was right? Who was wrong? We'll, we'll dive into that as well. Um, Tiger Woods competing in the PGA Championship this weekend, but not doing so well. It's like he's struggling a little bit. We'll ask the question, should Tiger Woods retire? Uh, would there be any shame in Tiger Woods retiring at this point? Where would he be ranked in terms of all-time uh, golfers? And then um, a little bit later on, our Carolina Cobras, are 5-0. and oh. They are the only undefeated team in the National Arena League. Uh, Coach Resignalo is going to join us at the bottom of the 11 o'clock hour to talk about his team being undefeated. They defeated the San Antonio Gunslingers right here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio last night. 
by the score of 72 to 35. Uh, so definitely, if you haven't checked out the Cobras yet this year, Coach Rez has got these boys playing really, really well. Uh, I believe they have another home game this uh, upcoming Saturday. If you can't get out to the Coliseum, you can always listen to Carolina Cobras here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. We are your home for Cobras football. Uh, that'll air with J.P. Mundy and Ryan Stone uh, next Saturday. Uh, Got to give a quick shout out to the East Forsyth softball team before we get started. Uh, these ladies doing us proud. They won last night three to one over Alexander Central to advance to the Western Regional uh, final for the second time in two years. They'll be playing Marvin Ridge. It's a best of three series. We're working out some details right now. Uh, we should have that series on Tobacco Road Sports Radio next week. Uh, the winner of that matchup will go to the state championship. And uh, East Forsyth was in the state championship last year, lost and uh, a best of three series to uh, Wilmington Hoggard. Uh, I believe it was five to four was the final in that game. So they one one out away. They were really close. Uh, it's been a business trip to try to get back this year. And we've been following the softball team, myself and JP Mundy. So shout out to Coach Ben McKinney and uh, all the girls over at uh, East Forsyth doing their thing. What a huge, uh, huge win for the school last night. We'll give you details on Marvin Ridge uh, next week and the, uh, the Western Regional Final. NBA playoffs, uh, Golden State. Uh, won again last night and basically kind of toyed with uh, with uh, the Mavericks. It felt like they they were down by as many as nineteen. Uh, ended up coming back to win. Are the Golden State Warriors the team to beat in the, in these playoffs? And I'll kick it to you first, Sam, uh, host of the Believe in uh, Hornets podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Do you feel like Golden State is just head and shoulders above the other three teams uh, that are left in the NBA? Uh, no, um, I think I think it's the East. Like whoever comes out of the East, I think is the team to beat. Um, Golden State, you know they they haven't really had their team at full strength all year, so we haven't seen it. But the Celtics in the calendar year have been one of, if not the best team in the league. And the Heat, what they can do defensively, like I, I, I'm rooting for one of the Western Conference teams because they're way more fun to watch. Like if you're a big fan of defensive basketball, the East is definitely for you. So, I the the defend defensive issues they have, uh, or like the what the East teams do defensively, I think is better than what the Warriors can do offensively. So I think the team to beat will come out of the, whoever wins that Heat Celtics series, which I think is the Celtics. I think the Celtics are the team to beat of, of the Final Four. I can't get a, a bead on the Eastern Conference uh, Finals because it feels like. Games one and two were just like, you know, blow out. Ooh, sorry, blow out for Miami and then blow out for Boston. And I can't really catch a, a, a vibe of which team is better. I think that it's holding me back in the Eastern Conference is that, you know, the Miami Heat were the one seed. Yeah. The Charlotte Hornets were the 10 seed. And they were only like, what, less than 10 games behind the one seed. Like everyone was so like, bunched together in the East that I couldn't really figure out uh, who was the best team because they all kind of took turns at the top like all year. And Miami just ended up being the last one musical chairs wise when the season ended. Uh, Larry. Not, not, oh, sorry. I was just oh, saying, now that the Celtics have Smart and Horford available again, like it, they, I think they've leveled up. I think that's why that's a big change in the results from game one to game two. Let me let me switch the question up here for Larry and for Rod. If let's just say uh, Golden State continues on this path, because the the Dallas Mavericks, to be honest with you, I was thinking about this the other day, and I said it on the score yesterday with uh, Brett Wiseman. The, the Dallas Mavericks remind me of the 2007 Cleveland Cavaliers, but stuck in the Western Conference where they have like a, a top five talent in Luka Doncic, th those Cavs did too with LeBron in 07, and just kind of like this motley crew of characters around them that all do 
specific things, but none of them are like stars to go with that top five star. And that top five stars is dragging them through the playoffs uh, with, with classic performances, but they end up falling short in the end. If this Dallas team was in the Eastern conference, they'd be in the Eastern conference finals. And I might pick them to actually win it and advance because of that singular talent. But because they're in the West, I, I think it's too tall of a task for Dallas to get through both Phoenix and golden state and then have to play a Boston or Miami to finish this off. It just feels like it's not going to come to play. But my, my question is, if Golden State continues this path here, because we're really watching a, a, a new window open for the Warriors in terms of championship opportunities. If Steph gets this team to the finals and he finally wins a finals MVP, is he top 10 ever? Like all time at that point? Either one, Rod, Rod or Larry. Would that would that put Steph Curry in your top ten all time list if if he's able oh, well, to do that with everything else he's already done? Well, I think I mean if you're talking about Steph Curry and everything that he's doing and done as far as being the best shooter, I mean there to me there is no better shooter than Steph Curry. And then if you take a look at last night's game, Steph Curry was not necessarily on point on the perimeter. So what did he do? He started driving in and creating baskets for Mister Looney and made Big Looney the man. In the fourth quarter, I don't know if you guys were watching, but in the first half, I was like, oh, my goodness. You know, I'm, I'm sitting on mm -hmm. the back deck and I'm, I'm looking inside and I'm saying, hey, I think this game might be over. So I'm, you know, drinking my drink with the umbrella in it. And I'm <laughs> like, yo, this thing is over with, man. And all of a sudden, somebody taps on the glass and says, oh, these Golden State guys are not done yet. And I come in and the score was like 83 to 85. And I was it like, what? It happened so fast. Like, yes. Golden State so <laughs> has this thing with the third quarter. I don't know what it is, but something about the third quarter, they just like come out. It's like that uh, in the original Space Jam where uh, they were giving all the uh, Looney Tunes the uh, the juice or whatever, and they start playing better. It's like they go into the locker room and get some of that uh that that juice from space jam and come out and they just start doing golden state stuff but yeah man golden state's just they're nuts they're nuts. they, Sorry, they really they really are man and and i think with everything that steph has done up to this time and point with his shooting getting his teammates involved you know wanting being able to take a step back when a player like kevin durant joins your team and he doesn't necessarily have to shows you a lot of unselfishness with steph and for me and Larry said it last week, when you got a guy who's unselfish and willing to do anything with the team, to me, not necessarily all the media and the voters and all those people, he's already a top 10 guy in my book. I mean, Steph, I, I love Steph. I love his game. I love what he's And to me, he has revolutionized the game in a different way than Michael Jordan has. And, and when I say that, what I mean is guys like me who are only 6'2", 6'3", I can come out and I can shoot threes. Now you got big men, seven footers. They're wanting to shoot threes like Steph Curry, 6'11". They want to shoot threes like Steph Curry. So to me, just because he's looking at the way people are now looking at the game and how they can alter their game and be shooters, to me, that in itself makes Steph, a, you know, a top 10 player in my book. We did uh, when I was hosting franchise players uh, about six months ago before I turned it over to JP and Ryan. We did a, a NBA top 10 list. And I might bring that back for rundown. Uh, because some of the answers were slanted based on the panelists that were on that uh <laughs> that were on that particular I, think I remember that. <laughs> yeah. But uh but but no for real, I had stuff in my top ten back then. Like, you know, when they were going through the stretch where they weren't even getting to the playoffs. I I, I think I put him at number nine. Um just from his resume right now. He's won three rings, two league MVPs, the only unanimous MVP in league history. Like I 
He's the leader in three point uh, three pointers made. And I don't know where that record's going to end up by the time he's done. It's going to be like John Stockton assist level, just a, like so pushed out from everybody else. Uh, although, like to your point, Rod, he has he's kind of changed the way they, they they play in the NBA. So there might be people right behind him in three point attempts and uh, three points made just because of his presence. Larry, your thoughts? Uh, is, Steph Ken- is Steph Curry a top ten player right now, or, or like ever, or does he need that that Finals MVP, like Max Kellerman would say, to to push him into that that top ten level? All right, can you hear me now, guys? Yeah, there you go. Gotcha. Okay, okay. I just want to make sure you guys can hear me. You know, I'll tell you right now, there's a difference between a player and a scorer. There's no doubt that he's one of the best scorer of all times. I don't think anybody will argue that with the way he's what he's done with three pointers. But I'll tell you what else he is. He's one of the smartest players in the NBA today. And like a hot rod just said, you know, he knows when I'm not on, when he's not on that he has another part of his game that he can use to help the team. And that's what he did last night. You know, people look, and if he didn't watch the game, he said, oh, wow, Steph, what he scored? 32 points, I think he ended up with in last night's game. Oh. But it wasn't a 32 where you went, yeah. wow. I was more impressed with what he did when he didn't score with the basketball. It was incredible. It almost brought back, and I'm not trying to compare errors, but it brought back a little bit of the days of, how Magic Johnson and Larry Bird played where, hey, you know, they can do all these different things. The thing with Steph Curry is they don't need him to score 40 points a game to win. They need him to play 40, you know, they need him to help to be the out team there. and yeah. be out there and control what goes on. And But I'll tell you what, I'm sorry to say it, guys, and I'll disagree with anybody that differs with me is, they're not going to win the comp- they're not going to win the championship right? and the reason they're not going to win the championship is when you're playing the heat or the Celtics who I think the Celtics are going to win that series I had them to win that series you cannot wait to the third quarter against these great defensive teams in the east to come and play because if you do the chances of coming back versus the Celtics or heat is a lot different than coming back versus the Dallas Mavericks I'll, I'll, it depends on who it is. Uh, like if it's the Mavericks, I totally a thousand percent agree, but I feel like I've seen enough of the core of golden state over the past six years where I would say, I don't fear them down by really any amount to any team. Like they, I've just seen them come back from these obscene like deficits. Like, and it happens so quickly. Like, and it's not just like, this notion that all these teams, because I was, I was complaining about this the other day too, in that Dallas uh, Golden State game, I think Dallas shot like, like 43s, 53s, some, something nuts. Like it was a third of all their attempts that they shot, and they only hit like 17 of them. And people want to blame Golden State for that, that Golden State changed the way the NBA's played. Now it's more of an outside, inside game. If you watched that game last night, most of Golden State's shots were in the paint. Like they're driving, like they're getting in and like, they're getting mid-range jumpers. It's it's kind of like um, Golden State's offense reminds me a little bit of the triangle, but it also has like mixture of like Greg Popovich motion offense in it too. Because you can't really run the triangle anymore; it's illegal pretty much. But if you if you imagine the triangle, but instead of the way the triangle was, where it's built on people being in certain spaces of the floor, imagine the triangle, but two of those points are running all over the floor. So the line right, they're moving without the ball. They're yeah, moving without the ball. Clay just 
just run and run and or Jordan Poole, which mm-hmm. has made it even worse to, to try to cover. They're still doing elements of the triangle. It's just that those triangles are now becoming like real long or squiggly or like over here or like, like there's no rhyme or reason to it when you're trying to watch it in terms of traditional triangle offense because it's not. But Steph and uh, I'll tell you what, man, Jordan Poole, yeah. this dude has been a revelation for Golden State. Like uh, they, they've got me to a point where I'm like, dang, do they need Clay Thompson? Like with with everything going, Clay's been relegated to like a third wheel sort of here. Uh, they're gonna have to figure out something with Jordan Poole in the offseason, won't they, Sam? Because uh, don't they need to? That he doesn't have a long term contract. He was just in the G League last year. Yeah, I don't know what his what's his contract situation is, but you know, Golden State are not cheap, so they'll do whatever it takes to keep him. They're already um, over the luxury tax with what yeah. they already have in the house. They'll just keep on adding on to it. Uh, but that that's the thing that keeps me kind of like, okay, I get Miami and Boston are great defensive teams, but I've seen this Golden State team obliterate like just whoever by just getting hot. Like they'll get real hot, and then you don't know where it's coming from. It might be Steph. It might be Poole. It might be Thompson. Uh, Otto Porter out here balling out. Andrew Wiggins, Wiggins yeah. started the All Star game, and we don't well, even talk about him. Like Ron Looney, like he, like Rod mentioned, like these guys, these guys they got enough. They've they got a lot of more pieces, have a ton of experience. And for that, Poole, he's a, he's a restricted free agent the summer next summer, so they can summer. wait. They don't have to wait. They have to wait to pay him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They gotta wait to pay him. Um, so that that's my thing with Golden State is that I feel like whatever defense you run against them. It's hard to defend an offense that that doesn't do a lot of ISO. And Golden State, ever since Durant left, they don't really do a lot of ISO. It's back to the way it was pre-Durant, where the ball is just in the air. It's constantly being moved around. You might see Jordan Poole or Curry do something at the end of a shot clock. But even then, it's like with five seconds left, you know, six seconds left or whatever. They've tried to look for the open shot first before it breaks down to just Poole doing something or Curry doing something. But um again at curry my top 10 before the season started um if he won a finals mvp that would to me that would submit him in the top 10 um i think i had pushed i don't remember who it was i pushed out of the top 10 it was between like him and tim duncan i believe it was but uh he gets the four titles i mean lebron's got four and for some reason we got him at number two like like way up here and sometimes i question that but uh i've seen other people say well, if it's not if it's not Curry, Durant would be the next name that I would think of that's currently playing that would be pushed up into the top ten, and I don't believe that. I don't think Kevin Durant's a top ten all time player. Am I wrong for thinking that? Or no, you're not wrong at all. He okay. is not well, okay. a top ten. No <laughs> I, way. I, I don't. I have a hard time putting him in my top twenty. To be honest, like I feel uh, like he does one thing really well. Well, you, you look. I mean, when he when he's done, he'll be like, like the best scoring forward ever, uh, Kevin Durant. But uh, I think Jan, of return of like current players, I think Giannis has the best chance of being in the top 10 because mm-hmm. he's like only 27 right now. He has the defensive stuff locked down. His offensive game is still growing and he's won. He's like individually and as a, as a, as a collective. So I think Giannis has a really good chance of being in that top 10 conversation by the time his career is over with. Yeah, I think, I think Durant could probably hit your top 20 at some point. You know, I think right now with Durant, his legacy is going to kind of be like the movie Troy. I don't know if you guys seen the movie Troy, but <laughs> when the king was getting ready to fight the young guy and he looks up at the court, the queen and he says, this is who you left me for. <laughs> I mean, so he left Golden State Steph Curry 
to go to a dysfunctional Brooklyn with Kyrie (laughs) Irving and a jacked-up James Harden. To me right now, I think that's got a lot of negative energy around him because that's who he left Golden State for. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Now he has Ben Simmons. Yeah, yeah. Now he has Ben Simmons. I wonder if he regrets not going to the Knicks because, like, if he was with the Knicks right now, would they be in a better situation than what he's in with Brooklyn? Because it's kind of – it's kind of the same thing, isn't it? Like, I mean, they I signed don't Randall, right? Instead of him, like when when they when he went to Brooklyn, they signed Randall with that that cap space, right? Yeah. So it'd be Randall Barrett. Um, I don't know what else the supporting cast would look like at that point. Maybe they get another player because that was the whole yeah. thing trying to get both them, right? Kyrie yeah. and Kevin Durant. But see, Kyrie messing the whole thing up. Like, I, <laughs> if I'm Kevin Durant, like I don't know what to believe. Like, I'm just like, ah, man, this dude could be telling me something all off season, and then we get to the beginning of the year, and it's like he don't even want to play. He might retire. Like, I don't even know. I have no idea what, what Kyrie Irving's going to do. So he's kind of left him stranded, uh, and we don't know what, what's going to happen with Ben Simmons either. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't put Kevin Durant in the top ten. Uh, I would say Steph or Giannis. And that actually, I said about this the other day too. How much foreign born players? have changed the NBA. If you think about it right now, top five, you, you could make a case three of the top five players in the NBA are, are not born here in the, in the America. Uh, yeah. Jokic won the MVP. Doncic, Doncic, uh, Embiid was born here. Uh, Giannis, so that's four right there. Uh, I mean, that I could easily make a case that they are currently top five players in the NBA. I call that actually the dream team effect. Uh from the 92 dream team when that team hit and and you guys know how big the u.s basketball team was in 92 like we all had usa basketball shirts and it was the greatest team ever assembled and all that jordan elevated to this like jesus level of like recognition globally but the the world took off in terms of basketball from that point on from that 92 dream team onward and you started getting all these foreign-born players and they were getting better and better and better and the one thing i've noticed really American-born players are doing the Steph Curry thing. They're playing from outside in. They're learning to shoot threes. They're not learning how to post up. They're not learning how to play, like, interior basketball anymore. The the European guys, when they come in, they're always, like, structurally sound. Like, they they, they know the fundamentals. And they you could tell that they have played them for years. But they, they might be 17, 18 years old, but they've been playing fundamental basketball for, like, a decade already with Luca. He was 16 playing with like grown men. Grown in, men, in Europe, yeah. You know, smoking so. cigarettes on the court or whatever. Yeah, they're playing with them <laughs> dudes. And uh, and that's so now he comes in, he can barely jump, really. Like none of these dudes can really jump, except for Giannis. But the, like he just he looks like an old he's got old man YMCA like type game, you know what I mean? Like that 40-year-old dude that's out there just hooping and like you can't stop him. He, that's that's Luca usually. And he went off for last night, he went off for what 40 something points. And it wasn't enough. Like he had forty something. Uh, Jalen Brunson had. Ooh, I can't. I don't see what his total was. But Doncic and Brunson, Brunson had thirty-one. He had twenty in Brunson the first 31. half, and like that team was like shooting the lights out in that first half. Like and I thought that could happen because people forget, they just came off of Game Seven, so I kind of yeah. figured they'd be you know down in Game One, and it was in Golden State. Game Two, I was like, okay, they'll have their legs back. They're not going to shoot this bad in Game Two, but can they do it the whole game? And. <clears throat> They, they were not. Uh, Golden State ends up victorious, so they take a two to nothing series lead. Miami and Boston game three is tonight uh, in Boston, so that that series is going to shift a little bit. Uh, but Desmond, what you just said was the difference, and that I think Hot Rod hit that earlier in the show. Is you know that wasn't going to last the whole game. You know that no team is going to shoot 
like that during the whole game. The difference is the coaches being able to adjust to the situation. And when it comes to adjustment, Golden State is more equipped to move the ball around and go inside right now than Dallas was. And you saw Steph Curry, a great example of not just using his ability to shoot from the outside, but his ability to pass the ball inside to other guys and get other guys involved. And that was the difference in the game. It was the adjustments that Golden State made to overcome the what ended up being the shortcoming of the game because they, Dallas did not shoot nearly what they did in the first half and the second half. You got you to be – if you're going to be on fire against Golden State, you better stay in fuego throughout the right. whole game because eventually it, – it, it's very rare for Golden State to have an off-shooting night the entire night. Like, they, they have these, like, bursts where you're, you look up. Yeah, especially at home. Yeah. Especially when they're, when, they're in, uh, when they're in Golden State, it'll be like step out of three. They'll get a defensive stop. They come back down. Steph launches like a 35-footer or something that goes in. The crowd starts going nuts. They get another defensive stop. They come down. They get a layup. Another defensive stop. They come down. Clay hits a three. Next thing, I mean, they just scored like twelve points in like, like a minute and some change. And all of a sudden, now they were down nine. They're up three, and it's just like, what yeah. just happened? Like, it, like it always happens. Just like boom, boom, boom. And yeah. that's gonna last for the next four or five years. I know Steph is thirty-two. I think Clay is thirty, thirty-one. Draymond is thirty, thirty-one. The way their game is, they're they're jump shooters. Like as long as they can run and get to position on the court someplace and get an open shot off they can play this for the next four or five years, like at a peak, like they're not, uh, it's not like John Morant or Derek Rose or Dwayne Wade, where your, your body's getting thrown to the ground, like every other possession. Cause you're, you're slashing to the bucket and you're taking contact. They're not probably getting any contact at all. So if they stay healthy, this golden state team, even if the Lakers rebuild, even if Phoenix gets their roster straight, which we're going to talk about in just a second, uh, I feel like they're going to be this the cream of the crop in the West. We'll see if uh, Sam is right about, um, uh, the winner of this whole thing coming out of the East, whether it's Miami or Boston, um, we'll find out. So, you know, game three tonight, Miami and Boston on uh, uh, ABC and ESPN, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, the Charlotte Hornets were in the news. Mitch Kupchak actually spoke to the media uh, for the first time after the firing of head coach James Borrego. Uh, had some interesting comments to say there. I want to go through the Hornets trade machine, uh, which is one of the reasons why I had Sam on this uh, morning. Uh, the Hornets have the 13th and the 15th pick in the NBA draft, June 23rd. Uh, they've got some options there, but I feel like the options there are the same options they've drafted the past three years running. So I want to play a little draft draft trade machine. What can we do with these picks? We're gonna. I've got a scenario here that might fix some things that uh, the Hornets had issues with last year. We'll see if Sam poo-poo's the whole deal or if he thinks that it's you know something good to go uh we'll discuss that more here in just a bit you're listening to the rundown on wwbg 1470 a.m and tobacco road you're listening to the rundown with desmond johnson blue naples pizzeria in kernersville is now hiring come work for one of the best italian restaurants in the tribe currently hiring dishwashers cooks front cashiers and more great hours great pay give them a call at 336-993-7707 or stop by and inquire at 1519 union cross road in kernersville start working this week blue naples pizza 
Kim Source Direct is a single source supplier. In business since 2007, they have over 80,000 products for customers just like you. Located in the heart of North Carolina, they supply cleaning products all throughout the Southeast. Whether you're a commercial business, office, or municipal building, looking for wholesale cleaning products, chemicals, cleaning equipment, or service, they've got you covered. Please reach out and start saving money today. Stop by their store open to the public and save. Kim Source Direct, 1207 South Park Drive in Kernersville. Give them a call at 336-515-9990. Order from the website at kimsourcedirect.com. Welcome to The Pit Stop, the only radio show produced in the triad dedicated to Bowman Gray coverage every single week. Join host Brett Wiseman for exclusive coverage and interviews with your favorite drivers at the Madhouse, plus recaps of the previous week's races. Coverage of all divisions, modified sportsman, street stock, and stadium stock. Tune in every Monday night at 8 p.m. on WTOB 980 AM and 96.7 FM or throughout the week during the season on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Area softball stars register for the Diamond Star Softball Transfer Portal Showcase June 14th and 15th at Bob Lewis Park in Asheville, North Carolina. This showcase is for any player currently in the transfer portal or any JUCO player. Get the opportunity to showcase your skills in front of college coaches from all levels. Over the two-day event, players participate in evaluations such as softball skills and metrics by college sports evaluations, drill and team practice participation, and playing in three games. For more information, visit DiamondStarEvents.net or email Coach Ben McKinney at bmckinney at DiamondStarEvents.net. This is Davis Troxler, the proud owner of North Carolina Golf Academy and the director of instruction. Don't let your golf game suffer from this dreary winter season. Come hit some golf balls, take a lesson, you can call us at 336-324-2374 for details. Thank you, and keep it in the fairway. Back to the Rundown with Desmond Johnson. Welcome back into the rundown here on WWBG 1470 AM here in the triad every Saturday morning from 10 AM to 12 noon and online at tobaccoroadsportsradio.com. If you want to participate in the rundown, you can do so. Just go to Facebook live, uh, the tobacco road sports radio, YouTube channel, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn. The video is there. You can comment and we'll respond to your hot sports take or response to one of our takes right here live on the air, uh, on the rundown every Saturday. Joined by Hot Rod Funderburk, Larry Frank, and Sam Dracula from the Believe in Hornets podcast. The Charlotte Hornets uh, general manager, Mitch Kupchak, was extended um, or, or, well, a couple days ago this week with a new uh, contract. Mitch Kupchak's been responsible for basically flipping the roster around. He also, we found out, was responsible for the, let, the, the firing of James Borrego. It was basically his decision, according to him in the press conference yesterday, uh, owner Michael Jordan, uh, and the collective uh, in the front office kind of left it up to Cupcheck to decide. He decided that the team needed a different voice. The Hornets were not so lucky in the NBA draft lottery uh, in the middle of this past week, did not move up from their position. Uh, of course, they finished 10th in the Eastern Conference. They will have the 13th pick overall. They already had the 15th overall selection as well. Um, I have a trade scenario here. Hear me out here. I know, I know he didn't play very well the last time we saw him. And I've heard some weird rumors online about the dude playing NBA 2K way too much and not sleeping enough, and that's why uh, this happened. But I want to run this by you. What if the Hornets package the 13th and the 15th pick overall and Gordon Hayward and Kai Jones 
and sent them to Phoenix for DeAndre Ayton. Is that something you would entertain? And I'll start off with you. Larry's already shaking his head. No, <laughs> Sam. I'll start off with you. Is that something you would entertain? Or Phoenix, of course, they have to throw another player in there to make the money work. But is yeah. that something you entertain? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, the, the issue is with the sign and trade rules, I don't think we're, we're able to do that per se because uh, he's out of contract and then it's just too late in the cycle. So it ha- I think it would have to be like book night or di- like different young players in the mix. But the idea of going in, all in on yeah, – that's basically what it is at that point, right? Going all in mm-hmm. on DeAndre Ayton and then having like your nucleus be some combination of LaMelo, Miles, and Ayton. Yeah. So I assume PJ would have to be in that deal as well. Um, you know, Probably. Uh, Hayward to make the money work because I think yeah. Ayton's going to make around $30 million, um in his next deal. That would match up with Hayward's deal. Um, and then Terry – would probably remain. Plus, Phoenix would like be like, oh man, like they're still trying to win. So I don't know if they want to. I like Hayward, but he can't stay on the floor. So, yeah. like, from a Hornets point of view, I say do it. I would do something like that. Push the chips in and get Aiden and see what you can do with Lamelo, Miles, and him, and just fill out the rest of the roster best you can because the cap situation isn't great this summer. It's not going to get good anytime soon with. The Terry extension that kicks in this this year and the Hayward situation. Plus, Miles is about to be paid. Pete is going to get paid next year and then LaMelo after that. So not a lot of relief coming um, for the cap. So the best way for this team to make a big movement roster wise is either through the trade, the trade market or really nail the draft, uh, which they have two shots at it, like you mentioned, with the two first round picks. But and, and Cupcake, his record is solid with the draft, but landing a a, uh, a game-changing player with the 13th and 15th pick it's happened before it's not beyond the realm of possibility but it's it's gonna be tough gonna be tough there's like two centers that could really change things and it's uh, who knows if they can will still be there when the whole select at 13. I was about to ask Rod a question but I think you got a phone call so we'll we'll see Uh, if he comes back on Larry uh, how can you say (laughs) yeah how can you say he's successful in the draft when two of the guys he drafted in the first round last year didn't even see the floor this well, year. So he he talked about that. that. Yeah, he addressed he said, that in the press conference. He said, I didn't hear the uh, press conference. Okay. So, he, so really one of the reasons why it feels like James Borrego got let go in the first place is because he didn't really play the young guys. Um, he yeah. Kupchak said that he thought that they should have played more and that it was a quote-unquote coach's decision. So he basically put it on Borrego that they didn't play as much in Charlotte. Um, I agree because, again, I'm watching Golden State out right now playing like Jonathan Kaminga and these younger guys right. with no issue. And – Whenever we saw Kai Jones or uh, Book Knight in Charlotte playing with limited minutes, usually they were on some sort of hot light of some sort. And JT like, Thor you know, in JT the second Thor. round. Yeah. And so Cupcheck, his first uh, offseason with the Hornets, they, leave, they, they didn't draft Miles. They traded for him on draft day, right? They left the draft with Miles and Devontae Graham. The next year, they left the draft with um, PJ and Cody Martin and Caleb Martin in, in the you know, yeah, and it's undrafted. So, yeah. and then 2020, LaMelo, you know, and then uh, Vernon Carey and Nick Richards, they ended up trading 
Nick Richard, sorry, uh, Vernon Carey for Harrell, which was a, a good deal because I was thinking, yeah, you know, we'll so see yeah. what happens with Vernon. He and then it. Nick Richards is looking like he could be a bottom rotation, like yes. big in the league at some point. I so, forgot that we even had Nick Richards. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like, yeah. He, he's not, you know, he's not ready to start at a friend or play 20 minutes a game or anything like that. But he's looking like he's going to be like a capable NBA player. So, like, the, the draft record is there. Just this last year, this is weird because the, the, him Very and the coach, weird. I guess, weren't on the same page. Brago's playing for his job, like coaching for his job, right? So if you're if your job's at, at, at stake, you're gonna rely more on the more veteran guys versus rolling the dice with Book Knight or even Kai Jones, who's very much a project. Like I Kai Jones' upside is very high, but he's very raw. And who knows what it'll turn out to be. Book Knight, expect a little more being a lottery pick, but I think we'll see. We'll see what we're missing out on this year. Yeah, <laughs> um, got to. when when these it, guys hit the floor. And that's kind of why I don't want to pick the 13th and 15th picks because I feel like that same player is right there at 13 and 15. Uh, Rod, our buddy Mark Williams over at Duke is the one yeah. guy that keeps getting attached to us. Um, yes, sir. Am I wrong to not be as hyped for Mark Williams? Because when I, I've watched him play enough now over the past two years, where it, if he wasn't seven foot two or whatever height he is. What does he do that's special that, that I would take him at 13? Like, I, he's a good shot blocker, rim protector, rebounder. He can protect the paint. But in today's NBA, how much do I really value that? And I feel like we just drafted that last year, and a guy with a higher ceiling in Kai Jones. So why would I continue to draft the same guy, especially when Kubchak just came out in the press conference and said he wanted to see more of the guys he drafted? Why would he draft another guy that's almost the same guy as the guy that he hadn't even seen yet? Like, that's kind of where I am. So would you would you trade these picks or would you actually use them to try to fix the the main problem the Hornets had, which was uh, defense and, and rim protection? There's, the first thing I would do is try and get some, a top 10 player inside of the Hornets organization. That's number one. Uh, and even Mitch Kupchak has said that he doesn't believe that they have a top 10 player on their roster uh, because they asked them. They said, hey, has you guys going to coaches shirts? Are you going to consult, say, LaMelo or any other players on your team? And Kupchak's response was, yeah, if we had a top 10 player, then I might consult some of the players. But since we don't have a top 10 player, I'm just going to do what I think we need to do. So that right there to me, for a long time, the Hornets have been kind of snake bit. And I mean, I'm not saying snake bit that there's a curse or a spell on them, but they're not able to attract big name players and players who bring a lot of energy. In other words, a top 10 player to the squad and you know as they go on the coaches search man i think one of the first things that they need to do and this you've heard me say this years ago before they even brought in james borrego i said get in mark jackson mark jackson is a coach who knows how to change the culture of a team i've told you for years i felt like the golden state championships belonged to mark jackson although they let him go but before the year before they let him go Mark Jackson took the Golden State record wins to a record that they had never seen before. So, you know, Michael Jordan has got to make some decisions. Him and Kupchak make some decisions to get a quality coach in who knows how to get the job done. And I think the first piece you need to do is get a a coach like Mark Jackson. If you can't get a Mark Jackson and then you start trying to figure out what to do in the draft, what to do with your draft picks as far as trading and going after the other players. I mean, uh, we all love Carl Anthony Towns, but if they went after Carl Anthony Towns, then hey, they might give up draft the first number one draft pick from now through 2029. Who knows? You know, so it's, I mean, I just think the Hornets have, have got a lot to do 
uh, in order to get that organization steered right. I will say, so they're kind of in a situation like Milwaukee was like four or five years ago where you're not going to attract that top 10 guy to Charlotte or Milwaukee or whatever. You almost have to get lucky in the draft and draft a guy and hope that he blossoms into that, which happened with Giannis uh, and Milwaukee. And with Charlotte, I would say, you know, LaMelo has the best shot to be a top 10 guy four years from now in the league. My worry is that a big market's going to, you know, like woo him away from Charlotte. Like I'm looking at my Lakers. Like I feel like someone's going to try to woo him away three, four years from now. Uh, if we don't do something now, I feel like that's kind of why Borrego got let go too. Cause if you really think about it, the Hornets really have like two years to really show LaMelo that they're serious about winning. Otherwise he could walk. Technically he could go off someplace else. He could choose not to sign with Charlotte uh, on his next uh, deal or whatnot. But I think if they did this, LaMelo, I think LaMelo said it, Sam, earlier in the year. He felt like they were like a really good center away from being a really good team. Might not have been LaMelo. It was somebody. Well, he, he, he gave like an interview to some to, to some paper talking about the need. And even in like the exit interviews, they talked about the need. Miles talked about the need for interior defense. You know, they've been they've been on the search for this since uh, for, for a while. It's been a running thing yeah. in Charlotte over the years, right? Like they went from Dwight to Biz. Man. to Plumley, basically, the last, like, few years, right? Cody Zeller's been a constant. We've seen other guys come and go, but the center like spot Cody is Zeller been... fourth overall in that trip. Yeah. So it, it, it it's been draft. an issue. It's been an issue um, that hasn't fully been addressed. So, I, you know, if there's a trade to make, make the trade, obviously. But one thing to keep in mind is the Hornets traded a, first, a future first-round draft pick to select Kai Jones, right? That pick is top 16 protected next year and top 14 protected the next two years. So at some point, you know, if it doesn't convey, it becomes two twos or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So if everything goes to plan and the Hornets are good and are in, a, like in the playoffs like that, they won't have their pick next year. There's a scenario where that happens, right? So maybe they keep those picks knowing they're not going to have a first-round draft pick, draft pick next year mm -hmm. and select someone with that 15th pick that's more of a project that would essentially be a rookie next year. This is something to keep in mind. Let me ask this uh, instead of DeAndre Ayton. And DeAndre Ayton was the one I was referring to that I had started hearing. As soon as I was like, maybe we should go after Ayton, he he has that stinker of a final game. Yeah. Well, the whole Suns just kind of not showed up uh, for that yeah. last game. Um, but then I heard this rumor that uh, he's addicted to NBA 2K. He spends like three or four hours a night playing it. He gets like two hours of sleep or something nuts like that. And that's why he didn't play very well uh, the other night. Uh, and I haven't heard any rebuttal regarding it. It's kind of like the Lamar Odom thing with the candy or whatever. It's like <laughs> one of the weird floating things that are out there. So I was like, maybe I don't want DeAndre Ayton. But then I was like, okay, well, who's out there that would actually solve all these problems that we could? Because my main thing is we have to get Gordon Hayward off the book. So I've just kind of given up on Gordon Hayward at this point. And looking at the salary cap, $60 million are owed to Gordon Hayward over the next two years. And I just don't yeah. feel the values there anymore for us. But he could be a great component on another team. What if they went after Rudy Gobert? in utah we heard no. that you know maybe there was some cracks in the wall him and donovan mitchell what if they put together the 13th pick the 15th pick gordon hayward who was linked to maybe wanting to go back to utah kai jones for rudy gobert and i don't know you throw in another piece in there would utah look at that and go hmm, yeah we do that they would do it. They would love that. <laughs> Charlotte want to do it. That, He's gonna make forty six million dollars when he's thirty three years old in uh, twenty twenty five. Uh, his contract, his contract is nuts. Ugh. And we've seen that, six years, last six years. That. We've seen him played off the floor in the playoffs. So if that's the goal to, to succeed in the playoffs, go to 
Rudy, like investing in Rudy Gobert, that's a tough one. Maybe yeah. the argument is you can fix it. Like this may be Quinn Snyder's team is the issue, but that's tough, man. For a guy who can't play off, like is not is like a, a zero on offense outside of dunking. Like, ah, uh, I'm good. I'm good. Go well, I let mean, me ask you. Let me ask you guys a question. I, I know you're all big Lamelo Ball fans. You're a lot bigger Lamelo fans than I am. I don't dislike Lamelo. I just don't think Lamelo is as great as everybody says he is. He may have the ability down the road. Yeah. I think, you know, statistically, he was not the best player on this team this year. Actually, Miles Bridges. Miles Bridges. Miles was the best. So let me ask you, just hear me out and answer the question a minute. Are we a better team with LaMelo Ball on the team without a big man? Are we a better team with a top 10 big man without LaMelo Ball? So I would I would say that a a top ten big man is harder to find than a top. Yeah, which one are you better with, Sam? So yeah, I, a, uh, a top uh, ten center. Yeah, if you can because, okay. Now hold on, I agree with you. My next point is you're saying you're not sure what's going to happen with Lamelo two years from now. It, are you open if you're mid cup check? Knowing what you have in the G League or the D League, whatever leagues they are, we're book night down there. And would you consider at least take suggestions if somebody offered you a top big ten, big man, top 10 big man for LaMelo Ball? No, absolutely not. It has I'm, to be Embiid or Jokic. Like, it, yeah. that's what, like, it has to be well, a But top, if you're a better team 10. with a top 10 big man, why wouldn't you do it? Well, because, because the game has changed so much that I don't know if – the the typical top 10 big man that you're thinking of could lead a team to an NBA title. Uh, then why year. would you be a better team without him? With the well, big man, and, and it's the upside, team. like you're because you're trading away the upside of LaMelo, too. Like right now, yeah, but yeah. In, in 10 years, like but you're not gonna I, have I, him I, in 10 years, maybe, maybe, that, maybe that's not. just right. That's yeah, what maybe you that's got crazy draft picks and all that. Yeah, that's just a scenario yeah. I threw out there where I'm saying that you run the risk of alienating LaMelo in a couple right. of years. By right. all intents and purposes, it sounds like LaMelo's very happy in Charlotte and can grow there. He likes the pace of it and everything else. I'm just saying that in a couple of years, when this contract ends, he's going to have suitors, he's going to have people that are going to be sniffing around and they're going right. to be from Chicago, New York, LA, or whatnot. And but I hear everybody saying, Desmond, that we need nobody's attracted to Charlotte because you know, no big top 10 players just isn't there. Well, what happens if you got a top 10 guy for a LaMelo? Wouldn't that attract other players to Charlotte to come play with that top 10 player? What if LaMelo becomes a top 10 player? Wouldn't that He's attract not becoming a top 10 player? Why would you say that? Like, he because would just by like watching the game, years? he is. He is so out of control. Everybody loves when LaMelo, like I said, only scored uh, over 20 points 26 times this year in the entire season. Everybody has LaMelo Ball as this god in Charlotte, and he's not it. How many times has he come down the court taking these shots that are just, you go, what the heck was that? How many times has he come down the court throwing the ball, and the only person that's there is sitting in the stand? You know, there are so many times that LaMelo has cost them games this year. And I'm not saying he's not a great talent, guys. Please don't, um, what I'm saying, don't think I'm saying that. I just don't think he's that star player like some of these other guys 
are in the NBA and you can because you can win. If you got Miles Bridges, Terry Rozier, and you add a big man in there and you bring James Booknight up to play, you are a better team with that big man in that offense with a new coach than you are with LaMelo Ball. But does that big man exist? I think that's the question. Because who, that's a good who question. You're talking that's, about? That's, in today's NBA, there's not a lot of – I mean, you can count you, defenders on, like, one hand, really. Well, you got to say, where do you draw the line? Where is the bottom where you don't accept that trade? you got to have that answer. But I'm saying if something came along – would you at least yeah. consider it I, if the Mitch Cup? I, I would. I, I would agree with Sam. Like uh, it's got to be like one of the top centers for me to part with Lamelo at this point, just because the upside potential is so great. That I mean, we're talking about a top three draft pick that's pretty much performed up to the level that we've thought the top three draft pick should. To this point, he's twenty years old. He just turned twenty years old. Right. So I understand I, that. I, I'll give him. He should be a sophomore in college uh, right now. So I, I'll give him a little bit of uh, leeway in terms of learning. Plus. Uh, we know James Borrego kind of had a thing against playing younger guys. Like he wasn't even starting when it, when it first started last year, he got to start because uh, somebody got hurt. Yeah. Was, Terry and I think Devontae both went down. Well, that's the beginning, so, right? And yeah. that's how he really got in the start lineup. And then he played so well, he couldn't take him out of the lineup. Uh, so if really, when you peel back the curtain even further and look at that, you kind of see Borrego kind of had an issue with playing these young dudes, uh, especially at the wing positions and the guard positions all positions because they were drafting centers the past three years and none of them could really crack the rotation. So it's a hard question to answer, Larry, because there's not a lot of top 10 centers out there. But uh, I'm going to throw something at you, Desmond, that you're going to say, Larry, you're crazy, you're on drugs. But I honestly believe, and just from what I watch, even in the G League, I think Book Knight has as good a chance to be a star as Melo does. I'm I'm high on James Booknight. I I don't know if it's the same ceiling. Um, it really depends on who the next coach is. Like yes. if, they, if they get Mark Jackson, that's who I want. Who I would love that. Have, then I think Lamelo Ball's career could explode. I think he could become a top three guard in the NBA under the tutelage of Mark Jackson. If they get someone like uh, Kenny Atkinson or Darvin Ham or some of these other guys they're talking about, I don't know. I don't know for sure. Um, I want to get to – we're going to take another quick break. I want to get to uh, this Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban stuff uh, and get your, your guys' opinions on this. Who was right? Who was wrong? Uh, Nick Saban's actually come out and apologized since all this happened, sort of, in a roundabout way. He didn't really specifically apologize, but he kind of did. Um, was Jimbo Fisher right? We've got some audio of both of the guys. We're going to get into that in just a bit here. Uh, after the break, you'll still the rundown on WWBG 1470 AM and TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. You're listening to The Rundown with Desmond Johnson. One stop number six, located just one mile west of East Forsyth at 2748 West Mountain Street, Kernersville. A proud supporter of East Forsyth since 1983, serving fresh fried chicken and our famous taters seven days a week from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. For a limited time, grab our Wife Saper family meal for only $13.99. Eight pieces of chicken and sides for four for just $13.99. One stop. Come see us at 2748 West Mountain Street in Kernersville. 
Beamer Tire and Auto Repair. Now with three locations across the triad in High Point, Greensboro, and our new location in Kernersville, Beamer Tire and Auto offers full-service auto repair. All tire brands, free alignment checks, oil changes, and more. In Kernersville, check out the no appointment needed quick lube shop. Check out their thousands of five-star ratings via Google and Yelp. They care because they know that you can go anywhere. So try a shop with a beating heart, not a bottom line. Beamer Tire and Auto Repair. Visit us on Facebook or at BeamerTire.com. Blue Naples Pizzeria in Kernersville is now hiring. Come work for one of the best Italian restaurants in the triad. Currently hiring dishwashers, cooks, front cashiers, and more. Great hours, great pay. Give them a call at 336-993-7707 or stop by and inquire at 1519 Union Cross Road in Kernersville. Start working this week. Blue Naples Pizza. Carolina Cobras. If I take that field, if I take that field, if my game starts to slide, if my game starts to slide, I have no fear. I have no fear. If my brother got my gun, my brother got my gun. Catch them all season long. That's all we got. That's all we got. On your home for triad sports. Oh, are we right here? Are we right here? TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Back to the rundown with Desmond Johnson. Welcome back into the rundown here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio.com and WWBG 1478 AM. The um, Carolina Cobras are 5-0. They won last night here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. 72 to 35 winners over the San Antonio Gunslingers. Uh, we will have them next week, uh, next Saturday, at 7 p.m. kickoff live here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio and WWBG. Uh, Nick Saban kind of put his foot in his mouth a little bit this week uh speaking to a group of alabama uh birmingham uh business owners was talking about a, a variety of things really and uh kind of moved over into some stuff regarding nil and some dudes caught some strays uh jimbo fisher deon sanders for some reason miami basketball coach jim laranaga uh like he just basically went in on on all of uh these these uh coaches in terms of what he perceived is going on in the world of sports. I'm just going to let Saban's comments run first, and then we'll run Jimbo Fisher, head coach at Texas A&M, his response to this, and then we'll get our reactions from Larry and Rod. So first, uh, here's Nick Saban basically talking about having to compete uh, in this new world of NIL and what some of his uh, competitors did to bring in uh, these classes. I mean, we probably have, what, 450 people on scholarship at Alabama, whether they're women's tennis players, women's softball players, golfers, you know, baseball players, non-revenue sports that should, that have for years and years and years been able to create a better life for themselves because they've been able to get scholarships and participate in college athletics. That's what college athletics is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be something where people come and make money and you make a decision about where you go to school based on how much money you're going to make. You should make a decision based on where you have the best chance to develop as a person, as a student, and as a player, which is what we've always tried to major in. And we're going to continue to do that. Hopefully there's enough people out there that are want to do it. But I know the consequence is going to be difficult for the people who are spending tons of money to get players. 
and you read about them. You know who they are. I mean, we were second in recruiting last year. AM was first. AM bought every player on their team, made a deal for name, image, and likeness. All right. We didn't buy one player. All right. But I don't know if we're going to be able to sustain that in the future because more and more people are doing it. So it's, uh, it's tough. And people blame the NCAA. But in defense of the NCAA, we are where we are all right, because of the litigation that the NCAA gets, like the transfer portal. Every time somebody wanted to transfer, they'd apply for a waiver. Right, if you didn't give them, if the NCAA didn't give them a waiver so they could be immediately eligible, they filed suit. So the NCAA would back off and give them a waiver. So they just said, we're just going to make a rule where everybody can transfer. That's how that happened. So if the NCAA doesn't get some protection from litigation, whether we got to get an antitrust or whatever it is, from a federal government standpoint, this is not going to change because they cannot enforce their rules, just like Nate said. We have a rule right now that says you cannot use name, image, and likeness to entice a player to come to your school. Hell, read about it in the paper. I mean, Jackson State paid a guy a million dollars last year that was a really good Division I player to come to school. It was in the paper, and they bragged about it. Nobody did anything about it. I mean, these guys at Miami that are going to play basketball there for $400,000, it's in the newspaper. The guy tells you how he's doing it. So, um, but the NCAA can't enforce their rules because it's not against the law. And that's an issue. That's a problem. Okay, I'm going to stop it right there. Um, so before I get to Jimbo's comments, uh, let's dissect what Nick Saban was saying here. And I play, I wanted to intentionally play it further back than where the sound bites usually starting when you hear it on national media. They're starting just right there in that little part where he's talking about Texas A&M and Jimbo. But it, you got to hear uh, the framework of what he's talking about first, and then you get a better idea of what he's saying. But for me, I thought for – you got to think about who he's talking to uh, also. He's talking to a group of business owners in Birmingham, Alabama. I didn't think that he was saying this to take a shot at Jimbo Fisher or A&M or Miami or – Deion Sanders or any of those guys, I took it as him basically saying to these business owners, the people with the money, look, we're normally number one in recruiting. We weren't number one this year because AM figured out a way to use money to get players to come to play for their, their teams. And I'm worried that if we don't figure out the same thing, we're never going to be number one in recruiting again. That's what I took from him saying that to that group of people, that he's basically telling them without saying, hey, give me money so I can go get these players. He was basically saying if we he put it in the air, if we don't figure out a way to duplicate what they're doing, we're not going to be able to compete with them recruiting wise. Did that does that make any sense to either one of you guys in terms of that's what I took from what he was saying? Well, yeah, I mean, well, go ahead, Rod. No, go, go ahead, Larry. Go ahead, buddy. Um, you know, I take it as this. First of all, it's not necessarily the message that he was trying to get across that was wrong. It's when you start putting other people's name and other people's universities' names into it, that's where you are wrong. Because, you know, you'll hear later on from Jumbo Fisher, Jimbo Fisher that, you know, there are many things that these guys, and these are friends of his. Dion is a close friend. They're Jimbo in the commercials. Yeah. With him, okay? They are friends, and he's selling out his friends. If he would have just left the university, Jackson State, Miami, um, and Texas A&M, their names out of it and say, we have issues in college football today and use the same reasoning without their names, the message 
There's no issue. It doesn't get any hype, any media. Now, the question is, does he realize that this is going to happen? I think he does. I think he wanted this to happen to get the message out there. And anyone that tells anyone that tells me that we did not expect to have issues with NIL when it came out is just lying. We knew there was going to be issues. And there he's right. There needs to be some governing on NIL and how much and when and how we can go ahead and utilize NIL. And that's a story for another day and something that college football, uh, college athletics in general have to work on. But, you know, he may be a great coach, Nick Saban, but he's a terrible person, in my opinion, to name these three people. Oh, I'm sorry. He's naming the colleges, but, I mean, if you're the coach of one of those colleges or universities, that's a direct head on you. Because there's many people that have worked with Nick Saban that could have came back and used situations, stories, incidents with his coaching, wherever it was, LSU or Alabama, and really hurt him. And they don't do that. And even in defense to Jumbo Fisher, you did not hear him once. He could have easily rebuilt things. And he said that, but not once did you hear him reveal anything. And there would have been other coaches that would have came out and said things in defense of what was said about them that could have really hurt Nick Saban. Rod, your thoughts on uh, on Saban's comments there about not just the the you know Jimbo and A and M and all that stuff, but the overall context of what he was saying in terms of nil because he i did notice that he didn't say they did anything illegal like he never said they did anything illegal he just said this is the system we're in now and we've got to basically play by the system's rules in order to have the same success we've had in the past and i don't know if he's going to be here for all that so what are your thoughts rod well to me he implied that jackson state did something illegal because he said they paid the kid a million dollars and no one did anything about it yeah that tells me right there that he expected a penalty or something to be done he said they bragged about it and all this stuff but i'm gonna tell you what you can't tackle hbcu like that and me not get offended not offended because it's an hbcu but because hbcus just don't have the same money the same clout that these big time d1 schools have the only thing that hbcu and jackson state has is Deion Sanders. He's not that even making a million it. dollars. He exactly. Said, he's not even making not a million, making a million dollars. And Deion Sanders is at the HBCU because Florida State wouldn't hire him. So I don't want to hear it. I'm going to tell you what. Nick Saban has been on top for a long time, and I am really shocked that Nick – I understand that Nick Saban was talking to the boosters, and he's trying to get money and basically asking them for help in order to keep the Alabama legacy football legacy going. But I am really shocked that he did what Larry said he shouldn't have done, which is put other big-time schools and their coaches in this problem, shining a light on them, making it look as if they're doing something that is illegal when they are not. When at the end of the day, the only thing Nick Saban was doing was whining like a little female dog, period. (laughs) That's all he was doing. The the, the ironic thing about all of it is that Alabama was bragging about how much NIL money their kids got at the beginning of the year, Bryce Young signed almost a million dollar deal uh, to when he first got there. And everyone was like, oh, this is what's going to happen. Alabama's going to get all this NIL money for these kids coming in. So it kind of is funny when you hear him talk complaining about other schools. Well, you know, it, also, 
it sounds to me as some gel and tell me if I'm wrong. There's like some jealousy here because first yeah. of all, HBCUs have gotten a lot of notoriety over the last past couple of years with the unbelievable talent that they're generating in that conference. And if you know, he's telling me that he's jealous of an HBCU school being able to like uh, Jackson State with Dion there to attract top rated. Uh, what tier five players to their mm -hmm. schools like so he can't get them to Alabama himself. And that is wrong. Suck it up, Nick Saban. Put your big boy pants on, shut up, and go out there. So so uh of course Jimbo uh Fisher wasn't gonna take these words lying down, the head coach at Texas AM, the highest paid coach in all of college football. Uh don't forget he makes nine point five million dollars a year, two million dollars more than what Nick Saban makes. So there, there is a lot of different things here. Jimbo worked for uh, Nick Saban at LSU. Uh, I read a, a great story in The Athletic this week after all this started where it basically detailed how people don't like working for Nick Saban. It's kind of like a Bill Belichick type of uh, situation. Of course, Saban and Belichick are close friends. They worked together uh, in the 90s at Cleveland Browns. Uh, Saban was the defensive coordinator. Belichick was the head coach. Um that that squad had a lot, that coaching staff had a lot of talent on it, but Jimbo, of course, went on Florida State, won a national championship there. Now he's at Texas A and M, and he was not pleased uh, with the comments from Nick Saban. Let's hear uh, the response from uh, head coach Jimbo Fisher. A lot of money is being spent, and just your here's what I'm gonna say. This is point blank. This is point blank because here's here's my problem. problem. There is, there is no, no $30 million, million fund. fund. There is no $5 million. million. There is no $10 million. This, this is garbage, garbage. Okay? okay? And it does. It, it does. pisses, pisses me, me off. off. That, that people, and here it, it comes from a site called Bro Bible, Bible by a guy named Slice Bread. Then everybody, everybody runs, runs with it. it. So, it's so it's written, written on, the on the internet as gospel. gospel. How irresponsible is that? And then to have coaches coaches in our leg and across this leg to say it? Clown acts. Clown acts. All right. All right. Irresponsible as multiple, multiple coaches, coaches in our league. And the guy is griping about NIL, griping about transfer portal, using it the most and bragging about, about, about it the most. That's, that's the ironic, ironic part. part. You want you character? I'll take any of y'all. It's a joke. joke. It does, it does piss, piss me off. The other thing. When you look at vice president, I got another vice president in Notre Dame. Both here at University, right? That's the heck person leading Rutgers University. I'd be real proud if I hired that guy. Read it off sliced bread. bread. It's, it's funny. When Nick Saban said it, his quarterback got an $800,000 deal, it was wonderful. Now it ain't wonderful no more, huh? But ours, that, our, we ain't got that. Ours are on record what comes up. We ain't going on big deals. Ain't nothing on our place we know of. That's funny when you do it. The hypocrisy is a joke. It's an absolute joke, and it's insulting to, uh, to our staff, how hard we work, to how we do things. It's insulting to Texas A&M because there ain't a better place to go to school and play ball. We don't like it. We're coming on. Get used to it. All right. We ain't going nowhere. It, it, it's it's an absolute joke that people put the hard work in and do it. It's irresponsible. But it's funny when they get it's all okay. Ball games are changing, man. It ain't because of NIL and what goes on. It's pretty irresponsible of all of them. They're clowns. Go next. If they question. got a problem with it? Come see me. I ain't a hard guy to find. My man said he ain't a hard guy to find. Like that, that felt more emotional from Jimbo than a lot of people expected. That felt like uh personal. Yeah, that felt personal. That felt like scab had been ripped off, and Jimbo had just been waiting for the moment to just it's like that moment in the marriage 
when the marriage has been crumbling for years, you both kind of know it, but neither one of them will say nothing. And then you finally have this just drag down fight that's like in food line or something, like in the bakery section. And everybody sees it. They're like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize it was that bad. That's what it kind of feels like between uh Jimbo and Nick Saban, where uh October the I think October the eighth, AM plays uh Alabama. And uh, Alabama went to College Station last year and lost uh, to Texas yep. A&M, uh, which I think was the first time a Sable, I mean a Saban disciple, had actually beaten Nick Saban. Uh, really, the whole year last year for Alabama might have been a uh, it might be time moment for Nick Saban because he he finally lost to one of his disciples and uh, he lost to two of them last year, and then and then he lost the national championship to Kirby Smart. So right. uh, I guess my question before we take another quick break. And we're going to hit this a little bit later on. Uh, Barrett Sports Media's Dimitri Ravinos is going to join us, uh, who's my expert in SEC. He's going to, we're going to talk a little bit about more how this is going to work dynamic-wise. Is Nick Saban entering that Coach K, Roy Williams territory where uh, retirement should be – I mean, the man's 72. Like, we shouldn't be surprised that when it happens, but I feel like we're going to be. He's closer to the end than he is at the beginning. How long would you give Nick Saban coaching? I don't know, Des. You know, to be honest with you, maybe uh, these are excuses for him to get ready and and set up something for retirement, which is why he's, (laughs) which is yeah, which is why he's complaining so much. And I'm gonna be honest with you, man. What Jimbo Fisher was saying was right. We all have issues and things that you know we may not like, and and it may be this subject matter or that subject matter. But when it comes to football and things of that nature, I'm gonna be honest with you. My hypocrisy only goes so far. And Nick Saban's hypocrisy went all the way to California and started coming back. That is ridiculous, man. Like Jimbo said, you heard about his players getting all these big NIL deals. And now all of a sudden, one kid here, one kid there over there gets it. And now it's a problem for, for Saban. It's now Saban, Yeah, yeah. Now Saban is saying, you know, this school is doing it. That school is doing it. Uh, no one did anything about it. What are we going to do? So perhaps with him starting to complain like this, you know, maybe he's seeing the end and part of the end begins where you're not winning those national championships. So whenever you're not winning those national championships or you take those losses during the season, maybe to a Texas A&M, if that happens this year, then perhaps two, three years from now, we can hear Nick Saban talking about, well, I'm getting ready to hang it up or I'm looking to pass the reins on to the next coach. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if uh, uh, very soon down the road, we hear those uh, uh, those 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 sayings that, hey, Nick Saban will not be around long. He's going to take his championships and he's going to go and retire and live on the lake or the ocean somewhere. There is Nick Saban, the greatest college football coach of all time. That's what we kind of anointed him. He's won, but seven? He's won seven yeah. I mean, seven. he's definitely have to be considered one of the greatest. I mean, you can't take that away from him, even with these comments. What you do on the field and what you say off the field are two complete things. Now, it does hurt his image a little bit, you know, because these are things that shouldn't have been said. I mean, I don't think he has more than two years left coaching. That's my opinion. And I think part of this, and once again, this is just my opinion, is that some of the things he's bringing out in the media right now almost sounds like he's making excuses ahead of time for an Alabama team that may not be as good this year as previous teams have been in the future. Mm -hmm. That's the way I look at it from a sports guy. You know, is that there's got to be a reason he's coming out with this all of a sudden because everybody's playing by the same rules. 
I don't care what you say. Um, you know, there are, every single organization, every single university, either one of us can go in and pick at things and find something that they are doing that's not correct. It's just the way it is. But once again, college football has created this by becoming this, you know, huge enterprise, huge business than it was in the 70s and early 80s. And when you start throwing money around like this, and Nick's not wrong about that part, when you start giving millions of dollars to young 18 and 19-year-old kids, they're going to go where the money is. They're not going to go where the education is and those other things. It's about money. They've never had money in their life, and now you're starting them off with millions of dollars. But at the end of the day, to answer your question, Desmond, I would think the end of Nick Saban, I would give him at the most two to three years. I've been saying 75 is when he would retire at age 75. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because I don't think he's lacking intelligence. I don't see think you see it like you knew Bobby Bowden was done when Bobby Bowden was done. Nick yeah. Saban still has that ability to see and do everything that any other coach in the league can do. He's not loose, and he looks like he's in damn good shape for a seventy-two-year-old guy. So I don't think that's playing an impact. I think what Hot Rod say might be better off. Maybe it's time he's done this for so long for him to go off into the sunset, enjoy fishing, enjoy the lake, and go ahead and just say, "I've done everything I could do. There's nothing else I need to prove in the world of college football that I haven't already proved." He's kind of he's kind of in the same boat as Coach K and Roy in terms of what else do they have to prove? With K, I thought he could have left when he made the announcement that he was leaving and taking the year to do it. He could have just left right then. I thought, and actually, to be honest, I think his legacy probably would have been shinier if he had done it that way, as opposed to the year-long goodbye tour that kind of blew up in their face at the very end of the year, thanks to their biggest rival his two biggest games last year in his retirement tour are going to be remembered as losses to North Carolina, the, the final game at Cameron, and then the final four game where well, Coach if he had K wasn't retired due before to, that, we wouldn't even have that on his resume, you know? Coach K wasn't due to age, but wasn't it due more to his health? He's had some health issues, yeah, yeah. back issues and stuff. And also, too, just the grind of what Duke had been doing the past decade in terms of recruiting, where you're not replacing a class every three or four years. You're doing it every eight months. So, you yeah. do that over and over and over and over. It's got to wear on your psyche after a certain point. Uh, you kind of need it's kind of a young man's game uh, to do that. In football, I imagine it's the same situation. But I think what's going to end up happening is that it's going to explode into something even bigger. Uh, we're going to bring on Barrett Sports Media's Dimitri Robinos here right after the break. We're just going to continue this conversation because I want to leak over more into the future of college football because I think. What's happened with this Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher situation is that it's going to open up this Pandora's box that we've all known is sitting there, but none of us have wanted to touch in terms of the, the unspoken thing in the room, which is college football has probably outgrown the NCAA, and they're going to have to figure something out to appease the the rabid college football fan and crowning a champion. Because the NCAA doesn't crown the champion uh, in college football. Like, it's almost its own separate entity at this point. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation. Hot Rod Funderburg, Larry Frank here with me. We'll be joined by Barrett Sports Media's Dimitri Ravenos. Uh, and I want to get you guys' opinion on this. Would college football be better off if they broke away from the NCAA and created 
four 16-team super conferences, which we're kind of on the road to doing right now already, and just have them figure it out uh, each year. Demetri Ravenos will join us here in just a bit. TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com and WWBG1470. You're listening to The Rundown. You're listening to The Rundown with Desmond Johnson. Area softball stars. Register for the Diamond Star Softball Transfer Portal Showcase June 14th and 15th at Bob Lewis Park in Asheville, North Carolina. This showcase is for any player currently in the transfer portal or any JUCO player. Get the opportunity to showcase your skills in front of college coaches from all levels. Over the two-day event, players participate in evaluations such as softball skills and metrics by college sports evaluations, drill and team practice participation, and playing in three games. For more information, visit DiamondStarEvents.net or email Coach Ben McKinney at McKinney at DiamondStarEvents.net. This is Davis Troxler, the proud owner of North Carolina Golf Academy and the director of instruction. Don't let your golf game suffer from this dreary winter season. Come hit some golf balls, take a lesson, you can call us at 336-324-2374 for details. Thank you, and keep it in the fairway. Maylor Family Chiropractic and Acupuncture, located at 205 North Cherry Street in Kernersville, is your family chiropractor. Dr. Maylor's goal is to treat and correct the underlying cause of patient symptoms to alleviate pain and to restore balance. Maylor Chiropractic treats pain, sports injuries, injuries from auto accidents, and much more. Start performing to the best of your ability pain-free. Give them a call and set your appointment today at 336-996-3737. Maylor Chiropractic in Kernersville. This is Coach Rez, head coach of your Carolina Cobras arena football team. You're listening to TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com, your home for triad sports. And you know this... Man. Back to the rundown with Desmond Johnson. Welcome back into the rundown here on WWBG 1470 AM in the triad and Feel free to participate. In the rundown every Saturday morning, 10 a.m. to 12 noon. Uh, our Facebook watch, Tobacco Road Sports Radio YouTube channel, Tobacco Radio on Twitter, LinkedIn. Comment in, comment, give us a hot take. Tell us we're crazy for whatever we just said or agree with us. You can participate in the show every single Saturday morning. Joining us right now from Barrett Sports Media, our good friend Dimitri Ravenos. I have to bring you in, Dimitri. Anytime something pops off in the SEC, you're kind of my go-to guy when it comes to uh, the the WrestleMania type feel that's over in SEC right now, and of course Jimbo versus uh, Nick Saban. I gotta ask you just to start off with who wins in a steel cage match, uh, Jimbo Fisher or uh, or Nick Saban? Oh, Nick Saban. Jimbo likes being rich far too much to uh, to actually get dirty with Nick Saban. Nick Saban, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I sort of equate it to uh, the Dark Knight Rises, where Jimbo embraced the darkness and Saban was born into it. Like, Nick Saban will kill you so he doesn't have to go back to managing a gas station that his dad owned when he was a kid. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, what were your initial thoughts here? Uh, Dimitri Ravenos joined us uh, from Barrett Sports Media. What were your initial uh, thoughts well, when you heard the first comments from, before Jimbo responded, when you heard okay. Saban's comments? Just uh, and, and a lot of people have harped on the fact that the media is basically just trained on those 15 seconds where he's talking about 
AM and everything else. But I actually play a little bit earlier the bit before that where he's kind of framing mm-hmm. everything he's talking about. And to Larry's point from earlier, if he had just left the names of the schools and stuff out of what he said, this really wouldn't be a story. It's the fact that he mentioned specifically schools in there. What were your thoughts when you first heard this from Nick Saban? Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I entirely agree with Larry on that because I think it depends on who you are, right? Like, I was really disappointed with Saban, um, and, and even without naming the schools. I was really disappointed with Saban because, you know, Nick is a – Nick is a calculated and meticulous guy, right? When he is saying, do you want this to be what college football is, whether it is about NIL and the transfer portal or whether it was a few years ago about up-tempo offenses and, you know, guys never coming off the field, no huddle, all that kind of stuff. He's not saying, I don't like this, I don't want it to be that. He's telling the rest of college football, are you sure this is what you want it to be? Because I'm going to do it better than you. And I think that what was so disappointing is it was only a few weeks ago that Nick was kind of openly saying that. Nick was very openly saying, look, we were the first ones to establish an NIL division inside of our athletic department. We were one of the first schools to get agents that we hired to help these kids navigate this stuff. And now to hear him do this stupid old man like I've characterized this over and over again as my job is changing and I don't want to have to get better that's what it sounded like to me his uh his comments and granted like I go back to maybe he's calculated right maybe all of this was to draw Jimbo out because Jimbo looks so much stupider in this than he does um yeah but but you know, still look as a lifelong Bama fan, as somebody that graduated from the university, I I am like baseline feeling. I'm disappointed by the way he reacted to this. Now, now Jimbo's reaction, which we just played right before he came on as well, uh, we all agreed was way more emotional uh, than anything that <laughs> yeah. we had heard from anybody really oh, regarding. Oh, this whole do thing. you want Jimbo to turn this damn car around? That was Jimbo's <laughs> reaction. <laughs> It's almost like Jimbo had been waiting like 15 years for this moment where he could finally just dump it out. Just just yeah. unload the clip on Nick Saban real quick. And uh, he got his moment. And I'm actually kind of surprised that the schools aren't reprimanding them more than what I've seen. I've just seen kind of something from the SEC commissioner saying, you know, like, all right, everybody settle down now. This is a little too much yeah. here. Need to be civil gentlemen here in the South. Like, we don't need this uh, this uh, combustion going on between you two here. But that's really it. There's been no like uh, punishment or well, I don't know. You, really you know, punish. you know who the only person that got any sort of like outward public punishment about this was Lane Kiffin. The, the, the conference canceled all of his media appearances on Friday because it was like, we cannot trust you to go on any sort of radio show uh, to talk about this stuff. I'm not surprised that the universities didn't discipline these guys. And I'm also not super surprised that Greg Sankey didn't come down too hard. I mean, at the end of the day, Nick Saban is the SEC's biggest star, right? Like you, you what? like this keeps the SEC in the headlines. This is more entertaining than last year's Texas and Oklahoma are coming to the SEC. It's certainly not ideal uh, that he called out a conference member. I think if I'm the SEC and granted, It's not my money at stake, right? I'm a little more concerned with the optics of him calling out Jackson State. And it's not just about 
HBCU, and, although yeah, that's Rod a huge just, part of it. Rod just hit on this. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, look, it, to, to me, it's not just about HBCU, although, again, that's a huge part of this. But the other part of this is like, dude, we're the SEC. What are you doing paying attention to Jackson State? You lost Travis Hunter. You've got 10 Travis Hunters that can't even get on the field right now because your roster is so loaded. Like, this is this makes us look so small-time. So I guess I'm not surprised that the the public reprimand is not there. And also, like, I mean, we talk about this as a joke, but it's also true. Like, really, how much power does Greg Sankey have compared to Nick Saban? Like, I, I don't know that the gulf is that big between the that's two. That's a great question. Yeah, that's – I mean, who runs the SEC, really? And I've always said it's Alabama and everybody else. Like, really, it's always – it's always Alabama and somebody. It's Alabama and Florida, or it's Alabama and – Georgia or well, you, you know the the somebody, thing that know? I think the thing that I think and I use Alabama as an example all the time because when I was in school there we went through four coaches in four years this was after Stallings dark, retired dark time before <laughs> oh brother the darkest timeline <laughs> uh the uh but yeah I mean look Alabama is fully capable of falling on those hard times too like the SEC is all about ebbs and flows, and, you know, it's just a matter of who gets the guy. When I was in school, Florida had the guy, and nobody was overtaking uh, mid to late 90s, early 2000s, Steve Spurrier, until he decided he needed to go to the NFL. Um, You know, so, look, there are these ebbs and flows. I think that Nick Saban just has a, you know, I mean, he's he's – Belichick in the NFL. He is uh, Phil Jackson in the NBA. He is undeniably the best to ever do this. And I think what makes him on that or puts him on that pantheon above even just the best in his sport is Nick Saban. Look, I don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he has no ego about him, but I was at the uh, Sugar Bowl after the 2013 season. This is the game where a bad Oklahoma team ran all over Alabama. I mean, this was this was the game where somebody got in Nick Saban's ear and said, hey, see that guy Derrick Henry at the end of the bench? Maybe you should see what he can do. Uh, and by that point, they were already down 21 points. Um, but after that game, you know, Nick Saban was humble enough to kind of look around and say, we can't run this offense anymore. And suddenly Doug Nussmeyer magically got a job at Michigan. Uh, and Lane Kiffin was available to come in and be the offensive coordinator, and it's changed everything, and it extended the dynasty. I mean, I think that is one of the differences of Saban and some of these guys. Like, when was the last time you saw Bill Belichick hire somebody from outside the Bill Belichick tree? I mean, he's talking right now about hiring an offensive coordinator that has never called an offensive play before because he he knows who Matt Patricia is, right? Right, Yeah, yeah, exactly, because he trusts him. So, I mean, I don't – at this point, honestly, Desmond, I don't even remember the question I started answering, but Nick Saban is great. (laughs) Real quick, I want to bring Larry and Rod back into this because I feel like NIL, the transfer portal, all this stuff, and Saban, I think he kind of hinted at this during this – this was a long conversation with – it was like Birmingham business owners. And I mentioned this at the top of the show. I felt like he was more – he didn't – he wasn't trying to call out these schools or these coaches. I think he was talking to the audience in front of him. He was basically saying – like, look, AM did this. They beat us in recruiting because they figured out a different way to do this. He never once said it was illegal. He just said they did it differently. We didn't do it that way. I looked at it like he was saying, look, we need to start figuring out a way to do this. You guys are the ones with the money in the room. I'm going to tell you, AM did this because they figured out a way to do this. We need to do that, too, if you want to keep being on top and recruiting. And he just happened to mention these names. Larry, 
Rod, real quick, I'm going to give each of you a minute and then back to Dimitri to finish out the segment. Do you think a, a four a four conference 16 team in each conference super conference type of thing is are we moving down that road and college football moving away from the NCAA? Do you think the college football will still be attached to the NCAA five years from now? Oh, wait, sorry. Hold on, Larry. I got you muted. There you go. If it if that is where it's going, I, I, I don't like it. And I'll tell you why. The whole idea of going to college and a university and to play sports, you represent your school and you go in there to get an education. If you want to do that, why don't you just make college football a minor league for the NFL and pay people to play? Because that's what we're going to right now. It's not about the education. It's not about the school. Why even factor that in if you're going to go ahead and separate it from the NCAA? It just doesn't make sense. And this is what NCAA or college football has created. They created this mess they've gotten into. But right now, it's the only difference is going to be that your school name is on an organization of minor league football where they go ahead and play and then they go ahead and draft the guys from the minor leagues, and they bring them up to the NFL. That's my opinion. I don't like it. I think it takes away from the whole college experience, but that is probably where we are going. Rod, your thoughts. Will the NCAA and college football still be in bed together five years from now with the route, with, with the pace that they're going right now? I mean, I hope they're still in bed together. I, I really do. I think the NCAA as well as college football, they have been – you know, at a, a dividing point, you know, from some time, they're not always able to see eye to eye on everything. You know what I mean? And one of the biggest things is this whole championship deal. You know, to me, with the championship deal, they should stay together. But I think there should be six teams to go into the playoffs. I think there should be a six team playoff system, even if it's a deal where you have two of the teams to have a buy. That's just how I feel. And I think that's more of a fair shot. So of anyone who might be looking on the inside out just from a strength of schedule point of view, then they still have the opportunity to go into that playoff system and prove what they can do. Um, but, you know, it's all about money at the end of the day, whether the NCAA is making money, whether the colleges are making money, and uh, the athletes are always last to get a piece of the pie. And they're the ones who actually generate the revenue for the NCAA and the colleges. So, I, you know, to me, let these guys continue to – the big ones who can make money off the NIL – um, as much as possible, because at the end of the day, you, we all say you send kids to college for what? To get an education. Well, what does the education do? Well, the education is supposed to make you make money. So, OK, well, at the end of the day, you send kids to college to make money. Well, if they can make money while they're in college, let them do it. Don't Plenty hinder them game. for it. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, because like even Nick Saban was saying, hey, you know, these kids are making millions of dollars doing this. Well, and they shouldn't be. Nick said it's up to education only and they shouldn't be making all that money. Well, I mean, I don't see Nick giving any of his salary back. I don't see any of the coaches <laughs> coaching football giving any of their salaries back. And to be honest with you, I don't blame them. That's why they do it. So let these kids make some revenue because we've seen so many times where we've seen promising players where we're looking forward to them coming out into the league. And guess what? They have an injury and they could have maybe made some dollars in college to help themselves, help their family, maybe even help them springboard into real life if they could have had some money. And to me, that's more or less what it's all about. Because what's the percentage? Two percent of the kids who play in college will make it to the NFL. Like yeah, Very low percentage. Yeah. But if these kids, but if a lot of these kids can help generate revenue 
I mean, pay them something for their time, their effort. And I'm going to tell you what, I played football. It is hard on your body. It is a hard sport. And if I had kids, I would not want them playing football. I'm going to just be honest with you because it's a brutal sport. Look, Armando Baycott, the center from North Carolina who decided to come back for his senior year, should be the poster child for NIL because I'm seeing this dude on everything from Jimmy Seafood. (laughs) He's in season three of Outer Banks on Netflix. Uh, He just threw out the first pitch for the Cincinnati Reds or something random uh, the other night. Like, he's all over the place. Like, he was in the Bahamas just, like, hanging out and, like, He's getting paid for all this, and he's going to come back and be a preseason National Player of the Year candidate because of it. it I think NIL is going to help keep some kids here. Uh, but to my original question, uh, Dimitri, and I know you got to get out of here. The Do you think that college football and the NCAA are heading towards a divorce? Because it does, I think we've talked about this before, where we conceivably see the SEC, the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12 basically just eat some of these smaller – conferences to build these 16 team super conferences so you'd have 64 teams and four conferences that would decide the college football champion which is basically what it is kind of right now uh you're not gonna yeah. find somebody yeah. below those conferences that are gonna win it all no i mean listen this is this is the thing that i don't think enough people are talking about like outside of notre dame after alabama or excuse me after the sec absorbed texas and oklahoma <laughs> after alabama who of value is out there who of value, like realistically, who of value is out there that is available, right? Like I think North Carolina would bring some value to another conference. Maybe Clemson would bring some value to another conference. I don't think they really would. I'm being nice. Ohio State <laughs> and Michigan are never leaving the Big Ten. Carol- who of value is out there? Carolina and Duke are never leaving the ACC. Never like, leaving the ACC, right? The ACC. So, so are we going to get to 16-team super conferences? No, because if you're the SEC, if you're a power player in the SEC, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, LSU, you're not looking to – like, you're probably not happy about Texas and Oklahoma coming in if it means you can't kick out Vanderbilt and South Carolina, right? Like, it, you don't want to divide the pie anymore. Um, and if you – you know, like, let's – Let's look at what the Big 12 did, right? The Big 12 lost its two most marketable, most valuable members. Their most marketable property left is Kansas. I would bet Kansas basketball. I would bet Kansas feels very differently, very differently, about having to split up their share of the revenue with UCF, Cincinnati, uh, and Houston. Maybe not BYU. I think BYU, you know, listen, BYU is to the Church of Latter-day Saints what Notre Dame is to the Catholic Church, right? That is not an insignificant population. They probably do bring some value. Um, But I think overall, Kansas basketball is going to look at UCF and go, what the hell are you doing in my neighborhood, right? Like, I, I think that that is a fair thing. I really, I really disagree with Larry. Um, about the idea of what this should be. Look, let's call these college athletes what they are. And Rod, to your point about Nick Saban not giving any money back, I graduated from Alabama in 03. Nick Saban came three years later. Not just the campus, the city of Tuscaloosa does not look like where I went to school. That is explicitly because of (laughs) the the football team. And yes, it is about Nick Saban, but it is about Nick Saban because he brought Julio Jones and he brought Derrick Henry and he brought, you know, Tua Tonga Bailo, and he brought all these kids. These kids, whether it is Alabama football players, North Carolina basketball players, Mississippi State baseball players, let's call them what they are. They are the most valuable employees of the school's marketing department. Yep. Period. End of sentence. And if these schools, if the NCAA really thought 
that the education was payment enough or was valuable, we wouldn't have, you know, when I was in school at Alabama, it was the human, uh, what was it called? The human performance department. At Duke, it's the philosophy department. At North Carolina, it's the African-American studies department. How many different schools is it? The business school, right? These schools, these degrees. Everybody does that, it. Everybody has a Everybody version. My wife went to Georgetown, right? My wife went to Georgetown. We started dating my senior year of college. And I was telling her about the human performance department of Alabama. And she said, I don't think we had something like that at Georgetown. And I reminded her that Alan Iverson went to her school. Of course, you had something like that at Georgetown. <laughs> say, I'm pretty sure uh, they had a great part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I, I mean, you know, it is. I just I think that the NCAA and college football are never going to divorce because they have this very advantageous like two people that don't love each other but can't each afford to go get their own houses right now sort of relationship going <laughs> on right like the NCAA is as hands-off of college football as it can be without anybody really raising an eyebrow I don't have a problem with college football just becoming like the University of Alabama sponsors the minor league team for you know the Tampa Bay Buccaneers right I wouldn't have a problem with that necessarily because I think that's more honest about what we're doing here. Um, that being said, it's never going to happen because in, there's enough advantage to the NCAA and enough advantage to enough programs in college football that they keep even the hint of a relationship alive. Understood. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with you there. And one of the things, Dimitri, that you said about the different programs and everything being at each school, it's nuts. But the problem with that is, the football, basketball, whatever programs force these kids into that. I have friends who went to Carolina with me, man. Oh, and sure. They, and, they, and they couldn't major in biology because they would have labs in the evening. And the coaches came to them and said, yo, you better change your major. You can't do this. Sorry. That's you know, so it's, like, yeah, you go to, so it's like, yeah, you go to school to get an education, but you cannot educate and gain the education that you want as a student. You have to give what they give you. And that is nuts. And that's why you see Listen, a lot of my, them get it after they come back. Like we just saw stuff 10 years ago. One of my best friends from high school was a four-star recruit on the offensive line. And he went to Alabama and told his coach, I think it was Mike DuBose at the time that he wanted to major in, uh, in political science. And Mike DuBose told him, if you do that, I'm redshirting you your freshman year. And so my buddy redshirted his freshman year and he got a right. political science degree and the school paid for it. Right. It, wow. It's one of those things like Rod, to your point, man, and this is exactly what I mean. If coaches can tell these kids, hey, you better not take that chemistry class with a lab at night. I don't care that you have to have it to graduate. Well, then the school has told you what they think the value of their education is. They've told you what they brought that kid to school to do. It's not to get an education. It's to play football. And if that's but, the case, but is that right? Is that right? Is it right? Uh, is it? It's, it is, Larry. I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying it is what is happening. So let's operate. Well, not that's a right unethical, wrong. in my opinion, to tell a kid he can't go for what he wants to go for if he wants to play a sport. But if you're paying for it, then, I mean, doesn't that I change? Understand that. I understand. Mean, that's what I'm you know, saying. They're paying for it. Because they're paying for it. Yeah. And yeah, I but agree. I mean, you got to say that they're, they're paying for it. The other problem is these kids is helping to generate that revenue that is coming in from that support. Exactly. That the, is the way issue more. right there. That's which is way more. It's way more yeah. revenue dollars. And that's not right. That's where we talked about in the last segment Correct. about the hypocrisy going so far. Yeah. And, and this is what I mean by being disappointed in Nick Saban's statements, right? Like, I, Larry, you're right. It, it is unethical. I'm not going to, like, pretend that this is an okay thing to do to kids. 
but what was so disappointing as someone that really, you know, obviously loves that football team and admires Nick Saban is, you know, I think, I think that Dabo Swinney lives in this imaginary fantasy world when he talks about he'll go do something else if these kids get start getting paid. I think that there is a class of dudes, Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, um, you know, Lincoln Riley is probably in this group as well, that spend more time focusing on how do I win now? How do I win in this environment rather than stamping their feet? Uh, because, you know, things aren't the way they were when Bear Bryant was coach. Like, that's such a waste of time and doesn't deal with the issues in front of us. And, and look, I like, college football is my favorite sport in the world. Mm-hmm. I will be the first to tell you, it's got issues, right? It's got huge issues that we have to deal with. Or if we're not going to deal with them, let's all embrace that part of what makes this sport great is that it is so dumb and is run by such dumb people <laughs> so that messy. can't get out of their own way. So but Dimitri, messy. let me ask you this, Dimitri, because you'll be a good one to answer this question. This is where I want to go with this for one quick second, Desmond, if yeah. you don't mind. Um High school sports are getting real big in certain parts, especially football. You go to Texas now, they get more fans in the stands than some teams get for the regular team. Are we about to see NIL possibly going into high schools now because they're doing it in college? And if so, now isn't that a problem? Um, you know what? I, I think I could be wrong about this, so don't quote me on this. I think there are a few states that have already allowed NIL. Uh, in high yes. school, yeah. I, I mean, I don't have a problem with it. I understand. I understand philosophically what the problem is, but like, I started in radio when I was fifteen. Right? I, I worked midnight to seven a.m. on Saturdays and Sundays at WZEW in Mobile, Alabama. Growing Alabama. up, like Alabama, God's country. No, it's yeah. horrible. Don't go there if you don't have to. <laughs> um, the uh, what what is what is different about the fourteen hours a week that I dedicated to getting better on radio? Then again, I'll go back to my best friend that was a four-star offensive line recruit. That didn't happen because, you know, he was just naturally born with that talent. He was naturally born with some of it, but a lot of it took refining, right? Well, you're talking about 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old kids making money in high school for their school. There's got to be a point where this is wrong. You can't look me in the face and say, Larry, you're wrong. When you're talking about high school kids that haven't even become adults yet making money in Texas where they get 50,000 people at a high school game. I'm sorry. I cannot look you in the eye and say I agree with you on that. That is completely wrong. I got I to cut it right here. I got I got to cut it right here because I got to give Dimitri time to, uh, to promote his podcast, Dynasty Mode, and I got Coach Rez waiting in the back. Uh, great conversation. Dimitri. Tell us a little bit about Dynasty Mode real quick. And I know you're up against some time, too. You got to get – I ran you over. I always do. Uh, Yeah, no, it's it's cool. Dynasty Dynasty Mode – yeah, Dynasty Mode celebrates the EA Sports College football games. Uh, You know, we know it's coming back uh, probably around this time next year, maybe a little bit later. I mean, we get into history. We get into what we want to see in the future. This is a thing that I went to my partner, Arky Shea, and said, listen, we're never going to break 10,000 downloads. But the 3,000 people that care about this will be with us every week. And it's, it's, it's become that, man. Like, it's a, it's a great dive into everything you love uh, about that game. So it's called Dynasty Mode, the unofficial EA Sports College football game podcast.
I might talk to you. Uh, I'm always looking for content for Tobacco Road, so I'll talk to you maybe you know uh, later this weekend. We maybe we can get a run going for uh, for Dynasty okay. Road, Tobacco Road on the weekends or something. That'd be pretty cool leading I'm, into the football season. I'm gonna let Larry negotiate my NIL deal. <laughs> yeah, let, let Larry negotiate. <laughs> Do you pay the people for EA Sports, the college guys that are you're talking about on the game? So there is the the. So EA Sports is going to have to pay college That's athletes if they want to use okay. yeah, yeah, college it's athletes. Of deal. Yeah. The I always thought that like, hey, if you're EA Sports, you just offer these kids a, a game, right? Like, just offer not, these kids not a game anymore. Not anymore, right? But like legally, they lost that case to Ed O'Bannon. They've got to pay these kids at least two thousand dollars and two thousand dollars each. All the reporting that I've heard is EA Sport. That would be about a $65 million payment if they got everybody in D1 college football. They think it's worth it. Like, they think they'll make it up in one game. Wow. Wow. They probably will. Mm. Dimitri's got to get out of here. We'll definitely bring him back on later on this summer as we uh, start doing college football uh, previews. Uh, I think Rod's getting out of here, too. Larry's going to stick around. Coach uh, Josh Resignala from the Carolina Cobras, 5-0 and Carolina Cobras, uh, after defeating the San Antonio Gunslingers last night, he's going to join us. We'll talk a little bit about the Cobras, and I wanted to talk, what are the biggest what-ifs in sports? Uh, that's something that I'll bring Dimitri back on later on this summer that we'll talk about as well. Stick around. We're uh, rounding third base here. You're listening to The Rundown, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com and WWBG 1470 AM. You're listening to The Rundown with Desmond Johnson. It can be, yes. Area softball stars. Register for the Diamond Star Softball Transfer Portal Showcase June 14th and 15th at Bob Lewis Park in Asheville, North Carolina. This showcase is for any player currently in the transfer portal or any JUCO player. Get the opportunity to showcase your skills in front of college coaches from all levels. Over the two-day event, players participate in evaluations such as softball skills and metrics by college sports evaluations, drill and team practice participation, and playing in three games. For more information, visit DiamondStarEvents.net or email Coach Ben McKinney at bmckinney at DiamondStarEvents.net. IdeaCom NC, a trusted telecommunications company with 60 years of experience in unified communications. IdeaCom is about more than just phone systems. They provide a full range of communication solutions. Whether your business is big or small, from churches to schools to fire departments, depend on the best in cabling, phone systems, IT support, and more from IdeaCom of Central North Carolina. Top-rated customer service that cares about your business needs. Check out all the host of solutions at IdeaComNC.com or call at 33 3- 6-854-4455. IdeaCom NC. This is Davis Troxler, the proud owner of North Carolina Golf Academy and the director of instruction. Don't let your golf game suffer from this dreary winter season. Come hit some golf balls, take a lesson. You can call us at 336-324-2374 for details. Thank you and keep it in the fairway. Beamer Tire and Auto Repair, now with three locations across the triad in High Point, Greensboro, and our new location in Kernersville. Beamer Tire and Auto offers full-service auto repair, all tire brands, free alignment checks, oil changes, and more. In Kernersville, check out the no-appointment-needed Quick Lube Shop. Check out their thousands of five-star ratings via Google and Yelp. They care because they know that you can go anywhere. So try a shop with a beating heart, not a bottom line. Beamer Tire and Auto Repair. Visit us on Facebook or at BeamerTire.com. 
Blue Naples Pizzeria in Kernersville is now hiring. Come work for one of the best Italian restaurants in the triad. Currently hiring dishwashers, cooks, front cashiers, and more. Great hours, great pay. Give them a call at 336-993-7707 or stop by and inquire at 1519 Union Cross Road in Kernersville. Start working this week. Blue Naples Pizza. We love sports. Joe Lewis, the greatest boxer ever lived. Not only do we love sports, but we love to debate sports. He bad at Clay. He bad at Sugar Ray. He bad at who that's you, the new boy. Mike, Mike Tyson looks like a bulldog. He bad at him too. He done whipped Mike Tyson ass. He whipped all that. For the best sports analysis in the triad. What about Rocky Marciano? In-depth local coverage of your favorite schools and teams. Let me tell you something once all. Rocky Marciano was good. But the bad at Joe Lewis, Rocky Marciano ain't and of course, the best sports debate in the triad. Big Joe Lawrence's ass. Welcome to Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Joe Lawrence was 75 years old when he fought. You're welcome. I don't know how old he was. He got This is Coach Rez, head coach of your Carolina Cobras arena football team. You're listening to TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com, your home for triad sports. And you know this, man. Back to the rundown with Desmond Johnson. Welcome back into the rundown here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio.com and WWBG 1470 AM. You can catch us every Saturday morning live, 10 AM on WWBG in the Triad. Or on all of our multiple outlets, the podcast episode of this will be out a little bit later on tonight. Guy with this uh, undefeated head coach of the Carolina Cobras, Coach Joshua Resignalo, joining the program. I see you're wearing Carolina Cobras gear. I got mine on as well, Coach. Uh, what's going on, man? How are you doing this uh, beautiful Saturday morning? Oh, doing good, man. Uh, in here in the office, getting the film uploaded. Um get it out there it's one of the responsibilities we got to do after the game home team you got to make sure you get the film uploaded for the league so 72 to 35 winners over the san antonio gunslingers it was the first time the gunslingers had visited the greensboro coliseum uh jp mundy and ryan stone i, I listened to a lot of that game last night they had the call for us uh, on tobacco road your home for carolina cobras football this season uh talk to me a little bit about this start coach um i know if i asked you did you expect to be five and oh Five weeks in, you're of course you're gonna be like, well, yeah, of course we expect it to be five and zero. But what uh, what surprised you so far about this uh, this team that you've put together? The only undefeated team left in the NAL so far this season. Well, other than being five and zero, which is you know awesome in 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 any sporting situation, but the biggest surprise overall is that we're not even playing our best football yet. We got a lot of things we got to correct offensively, defensively, special teams from the substitution stuff, from coaching um, decisions, things like that, all, all around the whole the whole aspect. Um, you know, we're not there yet. I, you know, the last couple of weeks, I felt we were anywhere between 60 to 70 percent of our potential. I think we we're we're closer to a little bit 80, 80, 85 ish right now. Um, and, and saying that being five and oh when we put it all together and we're clicking on all cylinders, I, I think we're going to be a pretty scary team. With this head coach of the Carolina Cobras NAL uh, arena league football team, Josh Resignalo joining us here on uh, the rundown with Desmond Johnson, uh, the snake pit come join us uh, at world of beer Wednesday night, 7 PM in Greensboro. 
uh, right off of Westover Terrace, where uh, Ryan Stone hosts the Snake Pit Live with Coach Resignalo. Uh, we'll find out what player or coach he's going to be bringing with him uh, this window. But, but definitely come in. Coach always brings free tickets. Uh, players stop by. It's a, a real fun atmosphere for Cobra fans to come and check it out, uh, especially with the Cobras being 5-0, and a lot to celebrate, a lot to talk about. Um, who would you say is your five weeks in, who would you say is your MVP so far? Shoot. Um, you know, right now, you know, we'd have to go with Bain, Jonathan Bain, our quarterback. Um, you know, we haven't really had a, a solid quarterback here since Chuck, um, Charles McCullum, um, in 18 and 19. Right. Sam Castronovo, you know, won the starting job last year. Um, Started off okay. I think he got rattled a little bit early, got banged up. Our O-line situation last year was terrible. So um, just as a whole. So, you know, he was pretty much in survival mode every game. Um, you know, and then we ended up replacing him down the stretch, made the playoffs. Um, so that's one of the things I wanted to fix was our O-line and our quarterback play. And, and you know, we did a good job in the offseason, you know, making some adjustments with that. And Bain is is a veteran to this game, AFL veteran, been around in the NAL for quite a few seasons. So uh, to get him on board and be the man leading us down, you know, to the to the championship, so to speak, um, he's definitely been a team leader. He takes charge. Everyone follows him. Um, you know, everyone wants to try to be a leader, but your true leaders don't have to make the guys follow you. And and just it's just a natural feeling. I mean, it's a tr- your true quarterback, you know, tech football player mentality and. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's been a joy to have him a part of what we're doing and which is a big part of our success right now. Coach, let me ask you a question. This is Larry Frank. I know you're five and oh, so far this year, but you said you're 60 to 70% of where you want to be as far as this team, putting it all together. What has been some of your, even though you're five and oh, what's been some of your biggest challenges so far this year? Uh, the biggest thing is, um, you know, guys getting used to the rotations of the Ironman. So when you're playing regular football, you know, it takes sometimes it might take a couple series or a couple plays for guys to get in a rhythm and, and feel the flow of the game. And then they can start, you know, getting involved more with the substitutions and the rotations. You know, you, you might be in for a series and then out two series and then back in for a series or in for two or three series and then out three series and then you're back in. So. I don't think it's really given guys a chance yet to really get in the flow of things. Um, now I will say as the games progress and as everything's moving along, um, I think guys are starting to get accustomed a little bit better um, with that, with the rotations and whatnot. Cause you really got to think of it as like hockey line changes is basically how it comes down to with his Ironman rules. Um, so once everyone's across the board gets a feel for everything, I, I think we're going to see a lot more, um, success across the board as a team from individual players. Um, but each week we got different guys stepping up, like Lance Evans this past week, man. You know, he last night, four touchdowns. You know, this is a guy that hadn't wasn't on the field very much because of the rotations. We adjusted some things to try to get him in the mix more last week. And then so this week we know, okay, he's gone on the field a little bit more. So maybe he's going to have a chance for some more production. And, and I mean, four touchdowns, you know, is, is, is a big deal. Um, so overall, just just working the personnel is the biggest challenge for us. Um, but I, I think as a whole, we're starting to get our stride um, and figuring out the, the ins and outs of, of what works best for us and what doesn't. 
And just to piggyback on that question, um, because that's exactly what I thought you might say, the rotations. You see so many rotations in this game. Talk about how players and as coaches, do you keep these players from a mental capacity into the game? That's tough. <laughs> we, we start, you know, the first game, a lot of complaints about playing time and rotations and why am I coming in? Why am I coming out and all this? And then as the games progress, little by little, you know, more and more buy in. And then, you know, last night, a perfect example. Most of the teams in the, in the NAL right now with the way that they're running the rotations, they're, they're playing guys three, four, five series and then start subbing guys out. The way we're doing our rotations is we have fresh guys coming in every series. So, and it shows, you know, down the stretch. Now, granted, the first two games we had one touchdown in 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 the fourth quarter or two games, but if you look at the the time of possession, like we've been controlling the game in the fourth quarter. Yeah, we might not have been putting a lot of points up early on, but we've been controlling the game and not allowing the other team to do what they want to do with the ball. And as the games have progressed, we're gradually starting to get in our stride, like I said, and get to where we want to be. And now with those guys kind of, when we get to that fourth quarter and we got guys got fresh legs running around, you're going to see the difference in that period of the game when they're dog tired and we're putting 72 points on you and you got 32 points or whatever the score was. So the, the Carolina Cobras are home again uh, this Saturday. Tickets are as low as $11.50. You can watch them take on the Jacksonville Sharks, uh, one of their rivals. It's Cancer Awareness Night. Uh, Saturday, May the 28th, 7 p.m. Coach, before we get you out of here, give, give the the give the triad the number one reason why they should come and check out the Carolina Cobras live at the Greensboro Coliseum. Man, it's when you see arena football, you're not going to see anything else like it. Everyone that comes the first time always comes back. It's just the 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 atmosphere. You're close. You're right up on top of the field. Balls are flying in the stands. You get to keep the football. You get to keep the football, yeah. <laughs> talk to the players while they're playing. You can scream at the referees where they have to turn around because they you just said something that didn't feel good and that just made them hurt the feelings. And they're like eight feet away from the guy. <laughs> after the game, fans come down on the field and get uh, get autographs and pictures with the players and the dancers. It's just the 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 entertainment side of it of all the stuff we got. Um it's so great for families too. It's so great to bring families in there. And I know you just had a whole bunch of high schools in there uh, oh, Saturday night, right? We had eight high schools here last night. I mean, it was the last night was the best energy I felt we've had so far in in, in these home games. I mean, just as I, I I grabbed kids out of the stands a couple times and taking pictures with them on the field and letting one walk around the whole field during warmups. So there's there's all kinds of you can't do that at a Panthers game. Love the Panthers. Love going to those games great out great time but you're not able to talk to the players like that you're not able to to get pictures with them like that and it, it's just the the experience and you know we definitely need the support um it's getting better each game um but this place it gets loud and when you yeah. got 1500 to 3500 fans in there and it sounds like there's 6000 7000 just imagine when we can actually get the 5000 fans that place is you, you're not going to want to come play here i mean you teams I hear you, anyway. you could hear it through the radio broadcast last night. I was going in and out, checking to make sure, you know, production's up, everything sounds good. And I would just check in and you, A, you could hear how much fun Ryan and JP were having calling the game. 
and Ryan had told me off to the side a week or two ago because he I don't think he'd ever called uh, arena football. And I think it was after the first home game and we were talking about something. He was like, yeah, man, uh, the Cobras game. That was really fun to call. Like he was kind of surprised, I think, a little bit with himself in terms of how much fun he had calling the game. And you could hear it in their voice how much fun they were having uh, getting kind of caught up in the in the game itself. Right. Two, you could hear the crowd. You could hear the atmosphere. You could kind of hear everything. Uh, B dot, a friend of the uh, friend of the uh, Tobacco Road, is your public announcer, uh, so you know he's got it hype in there. Uh, you guys have stuff going on in between commercial breaks and halftime show. Like it's a really fun family atmosphere uh, to go and, and check it out. We're up against it. I gotta let Coach Reds go. Gotta say thanks to Larry Frank from Frankly Speaking Sports for sticking around for uh, the full show. Hot Rod Funderburg, Dimitri Ravenos. Uh, from uh, Barrett Sports Media stopping by. Uh, just uh, Sam Dracula, uh, believe in uh, Hornets podcast uh, host for stopping by, talking a little Hornets with us. It's been a, a, a really great, great show. Got to get out of here. Check us out next week at noon, uh, excuse me, at 12, uh, excuse me, 10 a.m. on WWBG, 1470 a.m. and TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. I'm going to grab me a burrito. Coach Reds, don't work too hard. I will talk to you later on this week for the Snake Pit at 7 p.m. live on WWBG 1470 AM. For Larry Frank, Coach Rez, I'm Desmond Johnson. You've been listening to The Rundown. Peace. We'll see you next week.